Okay, episode 22 of Thelma and Tom Look Left. And uh, yet again, loads to talk about. And uh, lovely to see you, Thelma. So let's get started. Um, first thing we... Great to see you too, Tom. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Thelma. Um, it's always nice. I always get a, a little bit nervous before I do these podcasts, especially this one, because I'm not at home. So I had to set up the computer and everything. And I, it was such a relief when Thelma, when you turned up, Thelma, I can't tell you. And, um, yeah, <laughs> yes, uh, I was thinking that it looks uh, looks very posh um, behind you, Tom, and it, you look to be on a posh seat as well. Yeah, I'm completely out of my depth here in this office. But, you know, if I start wheeling across the room, it's because I'm not used to sitting in a chair with wheels on. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. if you go whizzing off, I'll know what's happened. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> okay, so lots to talk about um, and a great guest later on for the second half. So we, we thought we'd start with... Um, well, the Tory sewage party, which I think is one of the biggest gifts oh. that we've had for uh, um, for for Twitter in in ages, really. I mean, I don't know how they're going to come back from this one. Uh, what? Where are you on this, Thelma? I mean, you, oh, well, I mean, the thing is, obviously, massively serious and awful issue with this environment bill that's uh, that's going through, and um, but also social media has just been so funny with. <laughs> Some of the memes and uh, and hashtags, you know, uh, turd world and all that. <laughs> turd yeah, world, yeah. But, but a very massively serious issue. And um, I mean, the tweet I put out, very, you know, very sincere um, uh, tweet I put out, just went, yeah, thousands of, of retweets and likes because I just said, how on earth can we be hosting COP twenty six when we've got raw sewage? being emitted into our waterways I mean just a simple statement like that but it just seems to have it really got traction and people hit a nerve with people to say yeah the hypocrisy of it where we're hosting this and bragging about what we're doing for the environment and look look what's happening actually as we speak with this environment bill um absolutely appalling I mean it is going through the lords at the moment um just just this few days um as we're speaking so it's going to be a hope bounce back but even so it's just it's just dreadful isn't it um, yeah i'll just, I'll and, just back up your, what you're saying there with some with some stats actually which says it all really that uh, uh, the, the water companies were privatized in uh, 1989 which is 32 years ago and the selling point for privatization was that we needed the capital and the money to repair the um, the infrastructure, and of yeah. course, uh, they've had thirty two years to do this. And mm. and really, well, I don't know actually. Probably some stuff has happened, but it's in a dire state. And o- over those thirty two years, they've kicked out fifty six billion in dividends to shareholders, mm-hmm. and and yeah. which is enormous. And and um, and yesterday, Johnson said. That it's going to cost 150 billion to fix these sewers, and that's why they've mm. voted to give the water companies leeway on this because it it would simply cost us all too much. 
But I, I, yeah. I, I don't get it. If, if it's a private industry, why is it costing me something? It should be costing yeah. the owners of <laughs> it, the business. Surely. And it's obviously linked as well to Brexit because, you know, the regulate European regulations, no wonder the Tories want to get rid of the European Court of Justice because they would have they would have put the block on what they're trying to do. Um, and, and, and now, because we're, we're out of, of Europe, there aren't the same regulations, which I don't know if you can remember, Tom, but certainly I can remember really filthy beaches when I was a child um, when I was a little girl and, and a lot of that has been cleaned up over the last few years until recently um, so you, you can see that that another benefit in my opinion of being in Europe were those regulations um, that have, have meant we've got the blue flag beaches which we never had before um, and we're going back now in time, in lots of ways with this government, um, not not just to the environmental protections. Um, it's it's it is really depressing, and what it's going to be like um, this COP twenty six. I don't know. I mean, there's we're hearing of non attendance from world leaders um, and protests, and um, I know that the Peace and Justice Project are having an alternative. Uh, COP26 um, in Glasgow, which I'm hearing sold out now uh, with Jeremy in the lead. Um, and so uh, there is an alternative, just like the World Transform, um, you know, the Labour Conference, there is an alternative for people. Um, and, um, and you know, sincerity there <laughs> about tackling uh, the climate crisis because it's our, all our futures, isn't it? I, lo- I love it. I, I God. Peace and Justice Party. Oh, it isn't a party, is it yet? But please no, let it happen. Well. <laughs> We're ready. We're ready. <laughs> Just going back to that thing about Europe, Thelma, that was interesting to me because I know we didn't say we'd talk about this, but I'd, I'd like to ask you anyway. When um, in in the run up to the you know uh, leave the, the leaving Europe thing, where we were all discussing the pros and cons, quite a lot of people on the left actually wanted to come out of Europe. Now I didn't. I didn't want to simply because I felt like Europe was kept kept the brakes on the craziness of our government in lots of ways. In it, so what you said about the beaches there, for example, and food standards and all of those things that are really quite important to the ordinary people. Of now the brakes have been taken off because we've left Europe. I never quite understood. I mean, I understand that Europe's a big bureaucracy and uh, people like the Kinnocks have made a lot of money out of it and blah, 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 blah. I understand that. But I I also felt that it's far more important that the British being how we are and thinking we're so wonderful and special and don't need anybody. It's it's a recipe for disaster when we go off on our own like we are now. Uh, I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, yeah, it was a really tricky one for me, um, Tom. It, well, it was for everybody, really, the, you know, the whole Brexit debate. I've always been a Remainer, but I, I knew that there were flaws, obviously. And um, but, but I wanted to kind of fix it, not Brexit was the phrase. Um, and, and, I, and I thought, if you've not got a seat around the table, you can't improve something. You don't have a voice. Um, and and so I very much um, felt that way. I was never one for a second vote, a people's vote. I was never one for that because I knew, um, as many did in the Labour Party, that 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 
for many people, that will be a betrayal. Well, it'd be undemocratic. They voted once, that was it. But I did, when we got to the point, um, and, and, and yeah, there was, there was a lot of um, dispute flip-flopping around. But when we got to that good deal, um, that was ironically negotiated with Jeremy and Keir Starmer. <laughs> right. um, uh, you know, the good deal included um, that single market, you know, and customs union. It, we wouldn't be in this situation and nor would the Good Friday Agreement be threatened in the way uh, that, it, it, that it is now. Um, so I, I, I feel that it, if we did have that opportunity with that good deal. And um, I do feel it's one of the reasons that I feel really strongly the way the way since he's been leader, Keir Starmer has voted with uh, the government um, on Brexit, having having been uh, the architect of the, you know, the kind of uh, second referendum and people's vote. I just think the hypocrisy of it. Uh, knows no bounds, but um, I feel and feel even more strongly now, uh, for all its flaws, that the regulation that comes from being um, in the European Union, and we see it now with uh, COVID and the pandemic as well, obviously um, a lot of chaos and confusion at first um, with the vaccine rollout in Europe, but they have now come together and work together and and of course uh, just talking to a local business person around here as well to do with uh, tariffs on imports and uh, you know the um the lack of free movement these tariffs if something is traveling across europe through the different countries he was saying you know that his his bills have gone up absolutely tremendously um since we've left europe so uh, you know, I, I think lots of things that we've lost and that and that cooperation and peacekeeping and all sorts, Interpol, you know, all, all of those things um, that that really concern me. Uh, we've gone on to something we didn't say we'd talk about. Well, it, kind of, it, it kind of ties in quite well with, uh, with what we were going to talk about, which was the, the COVID situation. Because if you look at the how we're doing with that, and and what's yeah. happened, the history of COVID and how we've handled it. And, you know, had we been in Europe, that probably would have been quite different for us. Maybe not, because some of the European countries have had a rough time, really rough time too. Because but they still have learned from it, though, Tom, don't they? What, what I see, it was absolutely terrible in Italy, and obviously we've got relatives in Italy. Um, but it, it, it was really bad in Italy. But it's almost like the different countries have, have learned from the experience um, and have built on that experience. Um, what I feel really, I don't know what you're feeling at the moment, but what I feel with, with our government is that we've got worse figures now than a year ago. In, in terms of, of infection rate and deaths, nearly double uh, today the number or yesterday the number of people who've tragically lost their lives, and yet we're still not. And this brings us to the plan A or plan B, and I didn't even know until a few days ago we had a plan A or a plan B, and um, the, not just a simple thing of, of not saying to people you have to wear a mask. Um, in an enclosed space um, and, and not supporting the schools um, and colleges and universities 
in, in putting um, safety measures in place. Uh, because you can, it's clear to see that the infection rate, a lot of it is going up when the schools and colleges and universities are in. And what... What is happening is that those children, even if they're not really poorly, if they get COVID, are going home to their families. And the infection rate is really high with that generation of parents of youngsters and teenagers. So it, I, it's, I just feel, I don't feel safe with this government. That's that's the thing. You don't believe what, I don't believe what they're telling me. And unlike a lot of other countries, not all, but a lot of other countries, you feel that they've learned on the bad previous experience and are doing the common sense thing and just something as basic as wearing a mask um, in an enclosed space. It's not a lot to ask. but It's, it's yeah. quite funny, isn't it? Because they sell, the Tories sell the, their whole thing as common sense and, you know, we've got the freedom to act and so we can you know, do the best thing and do the right thing. In actual fact, they're quite hamstrung by their own party. Yeah. In that, you know, they've mm. got all this kind of libertarian stuff going on that, mm. that is stopping them from doing what needs to be done. And, exactly. and common sense and goes out of the window. It does. And it's very stark in the chamber, isn't it, in Westminster, where you see the um, Labour and uh, opposition benches with, all with masks on. And then you see the Tories, although I think some Tories are now starting to put their masks on. But it's almost like this. They've been whipped to not not wear the mask. And um, it's a stubbornness almost or fear, fear of their backers. Yeah. You know, who, these populist libertarians that I'm not wearing a mask, it's Trumpian, isn't it, really? It's, it's astonishing. And, and also the, the, the way that government operates uh, as cause, is causing so much trouble. The way that it, the, the epidemic or the pandemic is now talked about in the past sense, like, you know, now that you hear them say things like, well, now we're through the pandemic or we're coming out the other side of the pandemic. It's actually yeah. not true at all, but it messages to the people that, yeah, we're through now. We can start thinking forward and book holidays and da, 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 da. And it's, uh, it's a shocking way to run a country, really. It is, and it's the NHS staff. I mean, there's been some reports. I mean, I try to avoid BBC News at the moment, the way it is, but um, Channel 4 News... Victoria McDonnell, I really respect her as a journalist and she's covered this whole pandemic, I think, um, brilliantly and very sensitively. And uh, she must feel it's Groundhog Day at the moment because, you know, she's doing similar reports as she did a, a year ago um, but in the hospitals. But the NHS staff, such a moving report from um, a staff nurse, I think she was on Matron, but she, she just spoke from the heart about how you've got patients that are just abusive to them you know they've they've because they've done a year of dealing with all of this horror that they've not got that resilience they had a year ago and energy to to to, to face it all again and it was heartbreaking the report i i saw and what i'm hearing as well that the staff are just worn out um and um there aren't the resources there so it's it's, it's just it's just really difficult really difficult at the moment to feel and i'm a i'm a kind of a optimistic kind of person usually yeah. but it's yeah very hard isn't it very hard no i know i know summer it's hard to be it's you know i, I ed ed Miliband does a podcast called reasons to be cheerful but you know to try and kind of get us all to be a bit you know 
find something happy to say and happy to talk about. Sometimes it's really hard, like with, yeah. with COVID. You can, it's different. You can't really make a joke about COVID, or and and so yeah. many people are having such such a terrible time. I mean, two hundred and fifty, well, nearly a thousand deaths a week, basically. Um, yeah. And and it's not. It doesn't even get a mention on the news, really, does it? Um, I think the only thing that can keep you going. Um, is the joy in the simple things really you know and uh, family and nature and you know, yeah. you know all of the things it's the small things which one of the positive outcomes I think of what we've been through over this last 18 months is that realization that it is the, the small things uh, that matter and people that matter yeah um, and I think that's what we've we've got to focus on and, and yeah. have that hope Keep going. That we'll come out of this, and um, and and there will be a brighter future. But um, what with climate change as well, it's um, yeah, it's it, a right. Sometimes I mean, gets a bit being overwhelmed. A, being a kid growing up in this, it, it must be. I mean, we had our stuff going on. I know that that used to worry us, but this is really in your face, isn't it? Um, uh, yeah, you can't ignore. I mean, the climate change is a new element, isn't it? I mean, that as you say, there's always been things, there's always been wars going on. Um, there's, well, it's worse now, I think, but there's always been the child poverty um, and inequality. But the climate change is is an overarching, overwhelming agenda that that this generation are facing more than more than ours did, Tom. And I think that's I think that realization now. And and action does need to be taken, and, and we, oh, if Johnson comes out at this COP twenty six with this, you know, like he referenced Kermit the Frog, um, you know, you just think, oh, for God's sake, what's he going to say in this, you know, because it's just so serious. And if he makes a flippant comment, I just, oh dear, it's our turn to have a Trump, isn't it? Really, we, when we used to feel sorry for America, and now it's us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah. Uh, uh, but on the on the positive side to all that, of course, that you know, when when people, young people, are growing up, actually, with this happening in their face, it it's like a, a reality check to them, and and you have to say yeah. the young people have responded, and, and they've said this isn't how we want it, and and so that is yeah. the positive side to it, and and uh, I take a lot of joy from that. We've we've talked about this before, yeah. haven't we? But it's that yeah. is the truth yeah. of the matter. These old people that are making a right hash of this whole place are on the way out, and uh, and the, the new guard will come in and hopefully put it put it right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the last thing we were going to just mention, Thelma, was something that actually you brought up. Uh, I mean, I I feel quite strongly about the arts, uh, but there's a thing going on in the universities with uh, where they're defunding the arts a bit. Yeah, it looks like we've got proposals to cut back on um, humanities and arts in particular um, and creative arts. Um, and I think it's outrageous. And 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 the the reason they're giving is um, because the kind of uh, salary return, if you like, isn't high enough from these subjects. You know, I mean, we've got a you know, billion pounds industry in filmmaking and the creative industries and we're renowned throughout the world for for the the, the work we produce um, and you know music industry uh, film industry all of that 
Um, and and we're, cu- we're cutting back because the people that go into those courses don't give a high enough salary return. I mean, it's just obscene. And then cutting staffing. Uh, notice with Goldsmith's proposal to cut staffing for English and history. Um, and, and obviously, as an ex-teacher and head teacher, I'm looking at this and thinking this is, you know, the curriculum in primaries narrowing and narrowing, targets and tests. And subjects like creative arts are subjects where there's uh, questioning, uh, inquiry, thinking out the box, um, challenging, um, you know, making people perhaps feel uncomfortable sometimes about the status quo. All the things a lot of Tories hate you know the traditionalists hate and so you know why what's the what's the hidden agenda here and what's the hidden agenda of why they're cutting these specifics and I don't believe it's anything at all to do with salary returns I, I just think it's that 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 case of control of what people learn and limiting their capacity to challenge and um I I, I feel it's re- I feel really strongly about this actually um and I think it's one thing that, oh gosh, I wish, I wish we had an opposition that was, <laughs> was challenging it. Um, but I'll, I'll always for, fight for um, a broad and balanced curriculum um, and creativity and arts. And it's fundamental because it's that idea of lifelong learning and you know the life you want to live and the contribution you can make to society. It's all of that, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, I think that's something we might return to, Tom. Um, Indeed, in the and I'm not, I'm not. Do you know what, Tom? I'm not going to add to that because you said it all. Really, everything there, uh, the value of the arts, the value of you know developing the human consciousness. You know, I'm not putting down science in any way. I love science and I love listening to science. Well, you need creativity in science. I mean, I could talk about this for a whole podcast, couldn't yeah. I? That's <laughs> so wrong about it. That yeah. actually, you need creativity in every area of work, in business as well. You know, the idea of, uh, of, 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 of challenging what is known and what, what is, you know, isn't known and, and questioning. And that, that's what scientists do, you know, as so we would never have any new inventions at all. If you, if you took out the balance of the arts, the sciences would suffer anyway because you need that. Of you course. need everything as, as a whole, don't you, to make it work properly. Of course you do. Of course you do. Um, so it's it's not for any, not at all. My saying um, that you know that should, we shouldn't have as much science as we've got. Um, I'm saying that we need that creativity and questioning uh, as part of that. And it's it's that, as I say, broad and balanced curriculum um, that that delivers our future uh, society and and individuals that can make that positive contribution. So, yeah, let's watch that one, Tom. Yeah, and we definitely do need to do a whole podcast about the whole education thing. Uh, it's, it's something that we're both quite passionate about and you know a huge amount yeah. about. Um, and uh, it's, it's a, such an interesting subject. It's where it all begins, isn't it, really? Okay, so there you go. That's the end of uh, part one. And uh, we'll be back very shortly with part two and our guest. Thank you. Here we are, part two of our episode 22. 
And our guest this week is Alexi Sale, who I'm sure you've all heard of. And um, yeah, really kind of you to come and join us on our humble little podcast, Alexi. And we're, we're really thrilled to have you. So let's see how it goes and see if, uh, you know, see, just see what happens, really. Which brings me to the first thing, really, which is your podcast, which I love. And um, I just wanted to talk to you a bit about it, if that's okay. Because what I love, I want to just tell you a couple of things I really like about it and see if the, see if I'm actually reading it right. It seems pretty anarchic to me. It seems like you don't really know what's going to happen and it just happens. Is that is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it also seems like you don't really care too much if it's, uh, you know, not top-grade stuff, which I, I actually really like too, by the way. <laughs> is, is that correct? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think that, I mean, it took me a while to... Um, evolve my attitude to podcast really i mean i ju- i mean just to give a brief history that i um uh I, when i first heard about podcast i got my agent to set me up with some meetings with you know big podcast producers and we talked about various ideas i had and um you know it's all great and then so i said well, you know how much do i get paid then and they're like no you pay us i'm like what <laughs> <laughs> that was that put me off for several years, really. Um, and then it was only because uh, I really met Talal that um, he was the one who kind of put, well, you know, lockdown obviously made a difference. Um, but also meeting Talal, who really enables the whole thing, but I mean, both technically and as a kind of sidekick. So, um, and he's somebody that I've known. I was friends with his father, the Syrian journalist, Mustafa Kalkuzi, and I've known Talal since he was a... A baby, you know. Um, uh, but so, um, you know, he encouraged me to do it. And then it was a question of evolving the style. Now, obviously, my, um, my, you know, my, my experience is all in, you know, what mainstream media or whatever we call it, and it, where everything has to be. Where, 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 because you have authority, really, because you're on Radio 4 or, what, or BBC 2 or whatever, that gives you a kind of authority, but it also lays a responsibility on you. So I think to be t- as tight. I mean, my sandwich bar, uh, which gets, I think is, I, I, I think is probably the. I mean, there's only four of them whenever I do them, but that is is the highest rated show on Radio Four, which gets about aggregate figure about four million. But it's also amazingly tightly constructed. Really, it's. Um, you know, all the material is written and then it's all worked. You know, I, I take it around kind of small clubs and stuff to most of it. To, so it's, it's tightly constructed. So I just, so my, my attitude to doing podcasts eventually, and I started out, I think a bit thinking I had to do that for a podcast, but then I think, well, you know, I'm paying for it. And, you know, the, the people, the people aren't listening in those numbers. So, bollocks to it really why, why should I? I some bloke said to me on the street oh you know you you know I love the podcast but it's you know slipping a bit and I said well fuck it you know I'm paying for it <laughs> oh, I don't care well, Thomas, <laughs> taking all this in Alexi because we've got to learn from you we're not well, you know, the one I I've enjoyed listening to was the one where you were talking to Jeremy. Yeah. And and obviously, obviously I know Jeremy well. And do you know it was such a joy for me to hear Jeremy just talk to you, kind of as a friend, but as himself. And yeah. hearing so 
relaxed and I mean he was always honest <laughs> with any interview yeah. but it yeah. was so difficult for him to be who he is you know with his kind of whimsical humor because he was always portrayed as as this dour you know oh Jeremy doesn't have a beer and Jeremy don't do you know yeah, and he, yeah, he yeah. Allotment. but that that chat you had with him um it gave me a lot of joy actually Alexi because it was the Jeremy I know and love yeah because he obviously trusts you, you know, yeah. and and that was it's that kind of thing that I think podcasts and yours in particular, and I hope ours is only small fry. We we do it because we enjoy it, Tom and I. But we've had some great guests on, and um, and it's a safe space for the left, is it? Yeah, really? yeah. Uh, and we've had people like Richard Bergen on and Becky Long Bailey, you know, who who are able to 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 just um, speak as freely as they possibly can still be yeah, in the Labour yeah. Party but um, I felt with Jeremy with that podcast of yours and that chat it was the real Jeremy and and uh, so that that was great mm. yeah no it was a very nice show and it was also nice to you know keep in our excitement you know that he, it was like I mean I'm not you know uh, you know, I mean, I've I've worked with many, many, many great stars, <laughs> darling. And um, you know, it, I'm not bothered, you know, by you know, if Sting was coming. I mean, not that Sting would come round, but I mean, you know, if some somebody came round, um, I wouldn't be excited. But we were all hysterical about Jeremy coming round, really. And it's, it's nice yeah. to give a bit of a flavour of that. Yeah, but of course, the tragedy is also that. For whatever reasons, he could never communicate that to the to the wider media, you know. That uh, which is a you know which is a problem, really. I think. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think also one of the things I would say, I don't know if you'd agree, but if you look at previous Labour leaders, like somebody like Gordon Brown, for instance, since he's not been leader, or Theresa May doesn't have the politics, they actually interview better when they're not under that stress. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I talked to. I mean, I, obviously, I talked to him about that, and it's in the podcast about just the, you know, it is having having occasionally endured a thousandth of the kind of negative attention that he had. It's very hard to think straight, really. It's very hard to be yourself when you're under attack from so many directions. I mean, that's deliberate in a way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, Theresa May or Gordon Brown can be franker, partly because they're allowed. They're, I suppose they allowed themselves, but they're not. They have no power anymore, so the stakes aren't. You know, it's it's. I mean, again, it's a problem really of you know presentation that I mean, I think the left hasn't really solved. Mm. Not that Gordon Brown is on the left. Mm. <laughs> no. Um, could I ask you about comedy and satire? And Certainly, you made, made me laugh for so, <laughs> so many years, Alexi. Um, but who makes you laugh? I, I want to know who. Oh who Christ! Inspired you? Is there is there anybody currently or in the past? Or who? Who? Um, there's not many. Um, you know, because partly because it's my job. You know, there's not many. Um, you know, you, you tend to be a bit uh, analytical about. Um, stand-up comedy but obviously the only the 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 best of the best british stand-up to me that i know is is stuart lee really though i think he's the stuart's 
really. I mean, he's not, I mean, he's kind of broadly of the left, but in a way he's a kind of archetypal North London liberal in some ways. But yeah, artistically, he's very, um, you know, what he, what he does is very interesting artistically. And he also, he keeps growing as a performer as well, which I think is impressive, you know, because a lot of performers get to a point and then stop, really. Mm. There is... Um, so yeah, there's uh, there's an American comedian called Louis C.K. He has recently, in the last few years, been embroiled in a kind of uh, uh, sex pest kind of situation, really, which does uh, poison his legacy a bit, really, which is a shame because he's a phenomenal comedian, uh, and I hope that him and him and the world find some way around it, you know. Yeah. So is it a mix of you mentioned about a performer, but is it is it timing? expression messaging or is it all of it i mean what what is it or is it just a natural because i think of charlie chaplin you know with that face and 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 just you know just looking at some people i mean sometimes you know when i (laughs) with you and your timing and delivery i remember you doing a sketch you you'll remind me of it it's just a simple one that I still laugh about now where you were talking about how English people are so polite and you were talking about when they signed something in the visitors book. Oh, yeah, very nice. It was very yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, things like that. It's the way you can pick on just something yeah. <laughs> more that just makes me giggle. I don't know. I don't yeah. know what it is you. Of course, well, there's a difference between a comic and being a a good comic of course because i was you know I, I was thinking the other day i was struck by i was watching i think for some reason watching a kind of i watched the whole episode of of live from the apollo and i thought to me there was nobody said anything funny on the whole show nobody um did anything interesting on the whole show and yet the audience were kind of laughing up uproariously throughout really so that's a that's a kind of bizarre, that's a strange aspect of my game, really, um, that you can't, it's like a kind of, I don't know what you, I don't know what the analogy is, really, like an, air, an airline that never really goes anywhere and yet everybody gets off kind of pretending they're in Malaga or something. I mean, it's the most, they do these things, which are somebody, I think David Mitchell said, are joked shape. They kind of they 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 kind of follow the timing and the shape of a joke, but they're not funny. They're not interesting. They're not you know they don't say anything new. So that's a that's a weird thing about stand up comedy, really. Um, being a good comic is about surprise. It's about it, and a lot, but a lot of it is intuitive. You know, a lot of it is just you can't and you don't really want to. I don't really want to analyze it you know it just uh you just know something's funny and then something isn't you know I can't yeah remember. yeah it's a it's a natural a natural gift there's a lot of it I, I i'm not entirely sure you can you can well yeah. you can you can you can certainly teach an, an unfunny person to be one of those live from the apollo fuckers but i mean yeah. you can't do you want, teach do you want to work on Keir Starmer? I mean, he's he's terrible, isn't? He? I mean, he's There's no sense of humor, he? doesn't appear to have. No, I mean, he's he's um he's terrible. I mean, he's got the. I mean, regardless of his of his dishonesty and his corruption, he's also just presents very badly. You know, I mean, breathtakingly as a humorless, dull, insincere. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, remarkable. Yeah. Remarkable well. shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that could be your next line next time you're on the platform. <laughs> well, there was that, you know, one of my triumphs, I always think, at the... Um, it was at the uh, the Gaza demonstration earlier this year when I, and I never know what I'm going to say when I make speeches, really. So I just got up there and I said, oh, I'll introduce Jeremy, I said in the end. And I said, you know, I said, I don't know what I was going to say. I just sort of started talking about uh, speaking at big events in the past, like Glastonbury and stuff. And then I just said, you know, I don't know if the current leader of the opposition is here. At least I haven't seen the little shit. A little shit bag, I think. <laughs> And that got a tremendous round of applause. But I said, anyway, here's the real leader of the opposition, Jeremy Corbyn. Um, you know, it's a kind of a, you know, it's also, you know, at its best, comedy tells the truth, you know, and the Keir Starmer is a little shitbag is a, is a, you know, is, is the truth, you know. <laughs> yeah. Tom. We, we were saying earlier about um, uh, the peace and justice uh, movement or whatever mm-hmm. they they uh, they're very involved down at Brighton uh, adjacent to the conference I can't remember what it's called World Transformed yeah uh, almost just told me that they they've also sold out for a thing that's going on alongside COP twenty six is it yeah in Edinburgh or somewhere yeah and um, I just thought you know how long is it going to be before this thing comes a party that we so desperately need, you know. Well, yeah, exactly, yeah. imminent now, isn't it? Well, I think so. I mean, it, well, I, you know, I mean, I, you know, I have to kind of, uh, you know, issue safety warning or whatever in, the, in that, um, you know, I'm not, you know, I've never been, or not since my late teens, early 20s, where I've been in a political party, you know, and I think that the the sacred role of the comedian is, is is to stand on the sidelines and kind of mock everybody equally. Having said that, you know, I um, I, I got drawn into, and I always disregarded the Labour Party, always seemed to me, but never really knew much about its inner workings, really. It's only, you know, when Jeremy became the leader that I started looking at the the inner work, you know, I started reading, I read an, an enormous number of histories. Like, and I say, fucking damn, I mean, fuck Jeremy, making me read about fucking, <laughs> you know, um, Dennis Healy or, you know. Um, but I, you know, and I, I, I mean, I think I wasn't because it is, I mean, the, the history of the Labour Party is a, a fantastic kind of study in, in, in human awfulness, I think, in many ways. <laughs> um, you know, and a little bit of good, but basically just terrible, terrible, the right wing of the left, but terrible, terrible people doing terrible, shitty things. And um, so that was fascinating, but I, I can't see personally, and you know, I, if anybody says, yeah, stay in and fight, and, you know, we can get our party back and all that, you know, okay, because I don't, you know, I'm not invested in it, but... I can't see it myself. I can't. Um, on the other hand, I can see the one thing that you can say is that the Labour Party, if you're on the left, seems like the only game in town because the the left, you talk about, you know, truth and justice or whatever, forming a party, but the left has always been spectacularly bad about, you know, forming parties that don't then split into smaller parties and also... You know, any getting gaining any kind of real popularity, I think. So, you know, there's a problem right there. 
Alexei, about um, the idea of what your thoughts are, because um, I'm trying to work at the moment behind the scenes with, with kind of these new and emerging, uh, I consider proper left-wing democratic socialist parties like Breakthrough mm-hmm. Party, I don't know if you've heard of them, and Northern Independence Party and, so, and some of these others. Um, what you think about a left alliance, you know, strength and unity type of thing and the future for that? Yeah, I think there's... Um... I mentioned this at the Chris Williamson's thing, and something I've 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 uh, I've uh, read something I've thought for a while that there is one. I mean, it's, there is one organisation that spans the world that has an entirely kind of benevolent outcome as its intention, and it has really interesting internal structures. And that organisation is Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and but Alcoholics Anonymous, the kind of structure <laughs> is really interesting. You can only speak for three minutes, so it's generally accepted, which would be great at a left wing. It's like, if you can't get your point over in three bleeding minutes, then shut up. You know what I mean? Um, they change. They don't have any permanent roles. You know, you change leaders every two, six months. You don't hold any money. And so the thing about not having permanent roles is it's like you know, one of the problems with the police is that, you know, people who want to abuse authority attacked, attracted to becoming police officers, and we've seen a lot of examples of that. Similarly, people who are, you know, there are certain individuals who attracted to being a boring bastard who kind of controls everything, and they become, you know, party officials. And so if, if you're going to lose that role after six months, then th- those people are automatically excluded. Similarly, if you hold no funds, then nobody's attracted to, you know, pilfering the petty cash. Um, I, I mean, I, I mean, in a way, I'm being facetious, but I think there is also what I'm saying is that at the same time as, um, at the same time as founding new parties, you've got to look at the way those in parties into. I think internal mechanisms are constructed. You know, I, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, I was in the Labour Party for forty years. God knows now when I'm out, why? But yeah, well, you, yeah. so bogged. Well, just so bogged down in bureaucracy you know yeah. and this motion and who's gonna put second oh, yeah I, I really now i'm out of that and these meetings we're having with this progressive alliance you know we well i offer that a different person can chair each discussion i i usually end up doing it but um we, but we but we, there's nothing formal really about it it's more of a think tank if you like really right. and, yeah but it's a it's a good positive uh, discussion where we're not waiting for somebody to put forward an emotion, as I say, you know. So I kind of agree with you now. I'm out of all of that. I think yeah. it helped what was happening and still I, is. I mean, I sometimes think that one of the one of the the primary kind of functions of the Labour Party, in that it was a a kind of socialism destruction machine, was to bog left wingers particularly down in this kind of proceduralism. And I mean, Linda talks about. Well, you kind of kind of get this false high, you know, when you've got you've spent all your time and you've got this motion through to ah, fucking the next level. You're like, whoa, we got this motion through. The fact that they're going to nobody's ever going to take a blind bit of notice of your motion is neither here nor there. They've tied up your time. You've got nowhere, really. But you're like, whoa, we got this motion through. You yeah. Know? Yeah, and have you picked up this week on that GMB interview with Richard Maidley about him suggesting to Keir Starmer that the left, he had a chance at conference of giving the left a good kicking? Yeah. 
I, I haven't seen the interview, but I, I read, you know, yeah. Just, I mean, Richard Maidley is an idiot. I remember doing, I used to do Richard and Judy quite often, really. It was when they when they used to do it in Liverpool, Judy would never turn up because she was always frightened of me. <laughs> so, I would only be doing it if somebody else was there. I was co-hosting with Richard. But he, I remember one of his researchers saying to me once, the only thing he's interested in is skincare products. That's all, that's all he cares about in the whole world is skincare products. Um, so you know that's the kind of titan of, uh, uh, but yeah. yeah but I, 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 I he, what, what happened? He said the conference would be an opportunity for Starmer well, to yeah, get the left. You know, um, but what I was waiting for. Can you imagine if he'd have said that to Jeremy and yeah. Jeremy? immediately said we don't use that language and we yeah. don't go that way you know but he didn't rebut it at all um he didn't reprimand Richard Madeley at all in fact there was a, I thought a bit of a smirk about it yeah yeah um and I think you said things about the right of the party I mean I tried to work with everybody when I was there and you know and uh, um, naively I see more now I'm out really in some ways uh, of it of, of how the right did work and undermine um what what we were trying to do um and um that for me, I just thought that was a time for Keir Starmer to step up and say, because he talked about bringing unity, didn't he, when he stood yeah. as leader, um, and to not to not come back at Richard Maidley about the left, especially after what's happened recently with the murder of an MP, another MP, yeah. and that language of giving yeah. the good kicking, I just thought it was appalling, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but... Well, he, he, I mean, he's got... I mean... I don't know. He's got nothing to say, Starmer. He can't think on his feet. No, he can't really. He can't really reprimand Richard Madeley without, you know, without, you know, his prime function is to suppress the left, and so. Yeah. Do you think there is hope for the left, though, Alexei? Do you think there is hope in the Labour Party or? No, no. I mean the left. I mean for socialism for. Um. uh, (laughs) Well. I guess. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's um. It's the problem is that the people, you know, the people with the old product will fight like hell to mm-hmm. to not, you know, like somebody somebody's telling me a quote. You know, the you know the the the, the rich will the, the the rich will never let you vote to take their money away because a lot of it. I mean, again, to come back to the AA model and think. A lot of, I think, um, you know, capitalists, it's an addiction. I mean, who, why do you need 17 houses? Why do you need a, a Maserati made out of cake? Or, you know, I mean, it's like, what's the fucking point of all this, of accumulating all this shit, you know? Mm. Um, like the recent space travel as well. You yeah, could, I mean, exactly. I mean, for example, so, could you? Yeah. Of the contrast. Yeah, um, kind of megalomane. Yeah, I mean, it. You did think maybe if, you know, if Branson could just stay up there, it would be. <laughs> yeah, you would, you know. But so, I mean, it is. So, so I think socialism or whatever you want to call it, really, a system that's not capitalism and is about mutual respect between all people. Is, yeah. But it's a, it's a hard, 
it's a hard, hard thing to get over because obviously the the, the capitalists control all the, the essentially all the media, you know, to store, yeah. you know, control the voting really. It's you know Chomsky, you know, manufacturing, you know, manufacturing consent, all that really. You know, it's a so yeah. it's 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 difficult, but it is you know we should be. We I just think, yeah, it is. It, it's a better thing. I mean, I think you know. I mean, I talk a lot about how. Left-wing people are just nicer people, really. Left-wing people are just <laughs> think- na- are better people. But, I mean, that's a that's a kind of handicap in a way because if you're a bastard like Dominic Raab, yeah. it makes you more effective in a way. You know, and that's, again, that's without losing our humanity, without losing our betterness, we have to find a way to. Mm-hmm. And, again, I think there's maybe something in the kind of martial arts thing that, you know, you have to, you, rather than going into battle with these, in the fighting form, we in the fighting form that I study, you use your enemies, you use your opponent's energy to, to kind of defeat them, that you take them and you they're almost not there, that you just take them and kind of pass them off somewhere else. And I think mm-hmm. in a way that you need something like that to not a diff, to, to find a way to utilize your enemy's energy and use it against them or, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm talking. Well, Tom and I have hope in the younger generation because I think yeah. they're feeling now just so many of them just so angry about the future that's been could be robbed uh, from them in terms of the climate change. But you know, unaffordable homes, um, insecure employment, high, sky high tuition fees. I've said all this before, but you know, things our generation largely took for granted that yeah. they. They, they could have, you know, and are having taken from them. So I think we've got to have hope, I think, um, in, in them. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think older, more older people um, have fallen off the perch every year. And we've got younger ones coming through that can, that can vote. <laughs> and um, let's hope they use that vote. Because my worry is with this threat to democracy is if you look at the recent by-elections and the turnout, so many people are choosing not to use the vote. And that, I think, is, is the scary thing for me. Yeah. Tom, have you anything you want to... I t- totally go along with everything that's been said, really. It's been really good to listen to you both. And, uh, yeah, uh, I don't have so much to say. I did just want to ask Lexi about a bit of history about the Communist Party, if you'd be up for chatting about sure. that. Sure. Um, I brushed into the Communist Party uh, in about 1968. Yeah. Um, I was a, a kind of typical hippie at the time. And... Um, I came across this sociology lecturer and she was really, really nice person. And uh, she was a member of the Communist Party. And through her, she introduced me to her husband. And I I, was, I didn't really like the vibe of it that much. Um, but they were, you know, they were good on social justice and all that. But wh- where I came unstuck with it, well, there were two things. One was the guy... I mean, this is a totally nothing to do with the Communist Party, really, but he wanted to do a wife swap with my girlfriend. <laughs> I, I really yeah, couldn't handle it. I was yeah. only 18, and it was like, whoa. Uh, it really freaked me right out. Anyway, um, uh, that's nothing to do with anything, really. But the other thing well. that for me was the kind of ruthlessness of it. They, they like, when I said, you know, they were up for setting up everything and all everything would belong to the people and, and it was all be highly organised. 
and uh, which I couldn't quite get with. And then I sort of said, well, what are you going to do, for instance, what would you do with me if I didn't want to work in your factory? And what are you going to do with all those people who don't want to play the way you want to play? And, and he just said straight out, well, we'd shoot you. And I just thought, I can't go with this. This is a high price to play for a perfect world. Um, I don't know if he was a rogue or whether that was actually what the Communist Party was about. At that no, time. I think that was pretty... <laughs> that certainly represented a, a strain of, of, of CP thought, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's what I, we've been talking about in a way that you can't... A revolutionary party is, with an authoritarian model is... Um, it, it, it really allows, apart from anything else, I think you know, that the idea of kind of democratic centralism and the tight cater of, you know, at the top, it allows, it, it's a recipe for psychopaths. Right? It's a recipe for a psychopath taking control. Um, so that's a problem. And then once, once you've got this, again, you can't, again, you know, to come back to Alcoholics Anonymous, one of their mottos is live and let live. I think that you have to have a, you can't have a, if you're going to posit a new mode of being between people, both economic and moral and personal, it can't be authoritarian. It has to be live and let live. You have to be able to allow people to do what they want, really. Because as soon as you start saying, we have to compel. And I, I mean, you know, in practical terms, you know, I mean, that's again, that's one of the reasons why, you know, if you look at revolutionary organizations or you look at this, you know, this, I mean, you look at the Soviet revolution, you know, that did have in the, in, you know, initially very, you know, liberal ideas, but, you know, there was, they, one of the things that the, the, the oppressor does is that they, you know, there was British troops on in, in fighting in the Soviet Union until 1922, I think, and the revolution was what, 1917. So there was British troops on the ground fighting for the for the Tsarist forces for five years. The the basis of so another of my bizarre interests is kind of military matters. The basis of the Soviet armed forces, armored divisions, was originally British and French tanks that they'd captured. Uh, Vickers tanks and French Renault. Um, so they make you, they put up a fight. And if you, unfortunately, if you want to win a kind of, you know, struggle, then you think, well, we have to, you know, we have to have discipline in the army. We have to shoot deserters and stuff like that. Now, again, I don't know how you, so you, you bring in your own authoritarian rules and, and um, you know, you, you bring in your own ruthlessness. And then of course you can't, after the revolution is won, you can't switch that off. It's there, you know. The secret police are there. The 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 the, the, the rank of you know the the repressive measures are there, and I, I, you know I have no solution for how you you bring about socialism without you know when when the the oppressor you know your op your opponents fight so hard and make you fight. I don't know how you do it, but. Um, I, it, as soon as you bring in, as you as again as you as soon as you start fighting on their terms, as, as soon as you bring in ruthlessness, then you've lost. What's the point of you know? In a way, you've lost your revolution anyway. So, I think, I think in in uh, in two thousand and seventeen, well, two thousand from two thousand fifteen onwards, which is when, like yourself, I got interested in Labour Party politics at that point, and. Um, I could see how 
from there, socialism could come, could grow to be a major force and, and perhaps start to happen in a meaningful way. I think what happened there that was really the big mistake was that the left just didn't have the solidarity to stick together when under attack. Um, and and I, I was not knowledgeable enough anyway myself to really understand what was going on. I mean, all that AS smear stuff started kicking off and it scared the crap out of me. And um, But if the left had stuck together at that point and just said, no, come on, this is what this is. But instead of which, what happened was they started sacrificing people here, there and everywhere. And uh, once that had started to happen, we didn't have a hope really yeah well i think so i mean again tactically i mean i was saying to you know i was saying to chris Williamson in a way if it had worked you know if throwing you on jackie walker and mark wadsworth under the bus had worked if it brought about a socialist paradise then your sacrifice comrade would have been worthwhile but of course it never was going to because it's just to try and appease the bad faith actors that you are confronting they it just encouraged them it would always encourage them and so yeah i think that you you would certainly if we're talking about you would never back down on that anything you would never sacrifice anybody i think that was a yeah that was a tremendous mistake to think that and chris williamson i think was i don't think i'm betraying any confidence but he would say that you know some of those left-wing socialist campaign groups are saying well you just need to we just need to make this one apology we just need to do this one thing and that will draw a line under it this would you know because it's never it's just going to encourage more and more smears lies you know you, it's never going to draw a line under, because yeah so i think that that was a profound tactical mistake was to was to, to, I, to, to coming in on because obviously I was in the PLP and I saw um, how some of them behaved towards Chris in those PLP meetings as well. And it was just overwhelming. And But you weren't always sure what they were up to, you know, in terms of the undermining and the yeah. smearing. When you're actually in something, sometimes you can't see it till you come out. <laughs> and, wow. um, and, and, but how, how they treated um Chris and and some of them with Jeremy as well in those PLP meetings was just absolutely appalling I mean it was bullying there's you know there's yeah no word for it was bullying I mean how, how are you feeling as as you know left-wing Jew about the, what's happened over the last few years because you didn't hear the voices of secular or left-wing Jews during that time really did you was it because obviously the media didn't give any coverage or voice or, you know, somebody like Andrew Feinstein, I, di I didn't know about, you know, I hadn't heard what he had to say. And um, how, how are you? Are you all right to talk about it? You know? Yeah, sure. Um, well, it's, I mean, there's a number of different factors. Yes, that the, um, the by and large, I mean, there was always an assumption, wasn't there, that, if you had, like, even when occasionally, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, somebody from like JVL, like Naomi Wimborne, and Juicy was allowed on, you know, sat next to somebody like Louise Elman, there was always an assumption by the interviewer that Louise Elman was speaking the absolute truth and she would be addressed in a very um, respectful way. And she would, you know, she's a pro-Israel fanatic and would therefore say pro-Israeli things, but that would be entirely respectfully 
um, you know. And then Naomi would come on, and then immediately the the interviewer's voice would kind of come up into their chest like that, and they would kind of they would address Naomi as as if she was like uh, you know somebody evil, and they'd be this and they would be constantly interrupted. They would never be allowed, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And 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 what they what she would be saying would be treated as a lie instantly. That everything would be questioned, and so. Um, you saw that over and over again, really. Um, mm, you know, yeah. it's, it's deeply problematic, you know. And then, then you know, then the media kind of got in. They can't. It's the emperor's new clothes in a way. Everybody, they they can't back down from the anti-Semitism line now because they would have to admit that they they themselves have been deluded or lying for the last five years. Really, so you know, they they won't. Um, it's it's difficult for them to. Yeah. To question that, really. I mean, I, I mean, it's. I mean, there's. I mean, my there. Are, there are ways. I mean, I'm not interested in. Really, is that is that noise affecting you? Can you hear that? I think we'll probably <laughs> live with it, actually. Yeah, but it's just my. This is my. You know. If you know, working on a movie, you go cut, cut, drill, cut, cut. So, <laughs> can we can we go around? Can we send somebody round to tell them to knock that off? Uh, see if see if it goes. It's, it's annoying me, really. <laughs> yeah, that, now that's very like Harry Hill's podcast. Have you heard them? No, no. Oh, they're, they're basically silence and then noises like that, and then <laughs> speaks for about a minute somewhere in the podcast saying what you've been listening. What you've been listening to is my builders putting a window into <laughs> and, and then there'll be another five minutes silence and then that'll be it. Thank you for listening to my podcast if you'd like to. I mean astonishing. Yeah. Well thanks thanks for sharing how you're feeling about that because I know Yeah, yeah. I mean a, I, I think we are there is a there is a it's it's very difficult. There is a it's not you're primarily about Israel really. There is a, a level of censorship which is breathtaking that's um stunning I mean, and and the media can't highlight it because they're complicit but it's like i can't remember his name now they, they just got his job back at the employment tribunal or they said yesterday it's uh, you know it's, uh, an employee of hammersmith council who was filmed arguing on a demonstration the itv got the itv political correspondent shared it and he was then sacked, really. So somebody expressed having an argument perfectly, you know, politely with with a Zionist, um, saying something that was completely true, could be then fired by, of course, a, a right wing Labour mm-hmm. council that he was. Yeah. And then yeah. we've got I mean, David Miller at Bristol University. David Miller, I've been a supporter yeah. of, uh, of David Miller. Yeah, I mean, I mean that is, you know, I'm, I'm an academic. Who, who writes and talks about the influence of the Israel lobby is fired from his job due to the influence of the Israel lobby. I mean, it's a kind of illustration of, of what he's talking about, really. I mean, it is that is that is that is new. I mean, in Britain, I think that that level of censorship. I mean, I get away with it, really. I mean, when that Tory MP tried to get my Desert Island disc band, you know. 
I stand with Alexi Sale was was trending yeah. at number one on Twitter and all that, you know, which is, I mean, I'd rather not, I mean, it was better than the alternative, but I'd rather not have that, mm. that nonsense, you know. Um, but I mean, I'm in a, I mean, because I, by and large, don't go on and just, don't go on the mainstream media, don't go on Channel 4 News or Newsnight and just talk. When I, when I, I, I do my politics as comedy, and when you do it as comedy, when you do it as art, it's always a much more complex thing that it's kind of caveated with kind of a, a criticism, a critique of yourself. And it's, you also know, you're making it funny. I'm not just going on and having a row with fucking Melanie. But people Phillips do stuff. listen to you though, Alexi. People do hey? listen. You. people do listen to you you know there's a lot of power in 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 what you can say and how you can say it and yeah they'll want to to hear you and the following that you've got is massively powerful um I guess. Really yeah. yeah well it is it really is yeah well, well yeah there's all, all this time when you Superstar compared to Tom and I. <laughs> well, I think also what people like is the is is the solidarity in the way that you know you haven't, um, as far as I know, and I, I haven't seen a, a, a even a slight hint that you've ever bought into any of the crap, really. Um, no, never, no. I mean, but again, I'm like, I'm. I mean, you think about how protected I am. I'm somebody who's, you know, got a lot of public affection. I've been in the entertainment business for 40 years. I'm Jewish, you know, I've made, you know, I've made a comfortable living. I don't need to worry financially. If you're, uh, and so I don't, I can be, I mean, despite all that, none of the other fucking comics would show any, any bravery, <laughs> you know, even the old ones, even the ones, you know, nobody, but even this, you know, even the old, it was only just me. Really, still, despite all that. Nevertheless, I've got all these kind of, I've got all this protection, really. I know I'm, in a sense, in a, I'm a, a media insider to some extent. You know, I've been in, I've been at the top or near the top of the British entertainment industry for 40 years. If you're a young comic starting out now, I don't know. It must be scary. If you put your head above the parapet, I think, in a way, it must be. Because if you yeah. said left-wing things, when I was starting out in the 80s, if you said left-wing things, you were rewarded, you know? If yeah. um, now it's much more, you know, I, I have a certain sympathy with the young comic. Now, I don't know whether you would show the same bravery, really. It would be, I don't it, think you know, it, somebody like me is under threat, you know? Yeah, I don't think it's just in comedy that, though. I think we've got a culture of, you know, I'm from education background, and I see young teachers now starting and I see the kind of culture and ethos in a lot of these multi-academy trusts um, and, and what I can still consider this Govian model and Tory ideology of what's happening with the curriculum and teaching and learning. And I, yeah. a young teacher out now, if you were to try and push back on that, um, if you, you know, planned a career, I, I don't just think it's comedy. I think it's in a, no, a lot of areas... Public yeah. Service, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a very yeah. good point. I think you know this this kind of um, you know thought crime or Wellian you know control of you know it goes deep. You know, goes. I mean, comedies that you know at the yeah. you know, at the yeah. sharp end. But uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, a, a teacher now. I think you constantly being uh, you know you constantly. Well, being well it's a very. It's a very dangerous and very, it's very dangerous for yeah. the soul of our society, yeah. really. 
Yeah. Well, Tom and I were talking earlier um, in the intro just about the cuts, proposed cuts to arts, music, humanities courses because they don't give a salary return um, <laughs> according to the government, you know, of those courses. So they're cutting the student courses. It's, you know, that's all part of the same agenda, isn't it? Uh, you know, in, in yeah, opinion, yeah. I, I I guess yeah. I mean, I certainly had the benefit of. Um, I mean, I was. I've always had mixed. I mean, it's a kind of shibboleth of left thinking that state sponsorship of the arts is a good thing, and I was never convinced about that. I always hated like the fucking arts council and stuff. But um, nevertheless, I had the benefit of a, obviously a, a free education at a, a leading London art school, and so you know, it's hypocritical of me to, um, you know, to, in a sense to critique some of that but um yeah it's uh certainly yeah they yeah cutting back on on on, on uh, certainly at schools cutting back on music and, and arts is, is is again is deeply problematic really i think yeah yeah we better let you go we've kept you we've kept you for so long thanks so much for you. that's all right um you know yeah i've had me booster today so um have you yeah, oh, have i'm you? full of it's boosted <laughs> me go <laughs> I've just had a text this morning to say I can book an appointment. So, uh, uh, yeah, so, yeah, we're all, we're all over age. Yeah, we're all, all yeah. Big excitement of the day, the booster. Yeah. <laughs> I got Go a terribly sore arm after mine. day. Eh? I got a terribly sore arm after my booster for about two or three days. It was really, really? yeah. I had my first AstraZeneca. This is the really interesting shit now. I had the... Um, <laughs> My first AstraZeneca, <laughs> yeah, the very sore arm, and I was ill for about four days. Really. Oh dear! Yeah. Oh, I've been. I, I've been. Uh, I had. I had Pfizer to continue yeah. this interest, that stream of conversation. I had Pfizer first, and then yeah, AstraZeneca. I'm the other way around. Yeah, I've had two AstraZenecas and a Pfizer. <laughs> I think all the boosters, all the boosters are Pfizer, but you can request an AstraZeneca booster if you want. Okay. Um, and then they have to go through some special process and they will get you one if you don't want to have in the farm. You should really, if you know, if we're ideologically pure, if the Cubans, I think, developed one, we should all insist on just having that, really. Yeah, actually, we should, shouldn't we? They didn't get much uh, much of a reporting on that. It was like... Um, it was like in, 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 in left-wing areas in the sort of 70s, a lot of, like, Communist Party meetings and that that you, you would you would see a line of like larders. Do you remember the larder, the Russian oh, yeah. larder, or, yeah. or the Czech coders at the time? They felt compelled <laughs> to drive these fucking terrible cars. They they genuinely were. Yeah. They were yeah. Oh, shock. I mean, they were good if you lived in Siberia. It was better probably than a Montero. The, the engines I mean, were like sewing machines, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember these brown. You'd have a CP meeting and there'd be a, you know, be a load of brown larders parked on the pavement. You know, the odd draban. Is it? Oh man, you're you certainly you're living the life there. You you know you're not. <laughs> okay, brilliant. What a lovely podcast. Right. Thank you so much for joining us. Alexa. You're welcome. It's been, you're been welcome. Really great. And uh, yeah, I have enjoyed it. Yeah. Thelma, I've really enjoyed talking with you too. So thanks for yeah. that. And uh, yeah, yeah I'll have Thelma say goodbye. Yeah. Well, thanks, Tom. Uh, good to talk. And thanks, Alexi. It's been an absolute joy. It's the second time I've been on a kind of uh, Zoom call with you. And I've just yeah. really, really enjoyed it.
we did. So we'll, we'll leave you with the words of Charlie Chaplin speaking about comedy. Failure is unimportant. It takes courage to make a fool of yourself. Solidarity. Solidarity. <laughs>